We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Coming up next on the OBR Film Breakdown, we are going to cover everything from the last two days of Brown's practice as they finished up at the Greenbrier. A lot to talk about, a lot of different moving parts, some key quotes from Wyatt Teller, who's been up, who's been down, key camp battles, and then shift over and talk about tight ends and put together some early outlines for our 53-man roster projections. Joined by Andrew Spade, it's all coming up next on the OBR Film Breakdown. All right, guys, welcome in. Andrew Spade with me. We are behind a couple days, but not to the point that we can't catch up with things that happen because I don't know, Andrew, maybe it's just me as I'm watching. We sit down in the OBR now. We're doing the live wire. Uh, I had a busy Saturday, not so busy Sunday. I know that you were around kind of watching things. These practices are going either they're going really fast or we're just not getting any media out of them in terms of video shot. But I feel like they're over in the blink of an eye. And I I mean, I I can't say I've ever felt that way before. I feel like we've gotten more than ever. So maybe when they come back to Berea this week, we'll start to get more updates, insights, videos. But it's been very few and far between. Maybe the service is rough in Greenbrier. I don't know what's (laughs) going on. Are you noticing that too? How quickly these things seem to come and go? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, as yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. Yesterday, Saturday morning and Sunday morning, both days at my computer, monitoring Twitter for any posts from any, you know, anybody that's down there. It's a pretty small pool of, of reporters that are down there monitoring, you know, anything from any of them. And, uh, it, it's, you, you will sometimes go five minutes between posts about the, mm-hmm. the team. So it, it really is kind of happening in slow motion. Uh, and, and you're, you know, we are in the business of aggregating kind of everything that happens and you get through an hour and a half long practice and you've got, a half dozen, eight, maybe nine notable tweets total. And, you know, not yeah. all of them are even video. Uh, I do hope, I hope fervently that that changes when they get back to Berea. I think it should, right? Though there's more people that can be there because there's no financial bur- you know, barrier to having, you know, everybody that's, you know, anybody in the media can that can get a credential can show up and have a camera, you know. But, like, 
Um, and then you've got the fan aspect, which I know we've talked about before. It, it's not supposed to come out, but some of it sneaks out every day. Uh, you know, and I think that I think the team also uh, posts more during practice when they're in Berea. So, yeah, overall, it has been tough following this from afar. It kind of feels like much more at the mercy of the what you know the the reporters who are there, how they characterize it. Much harder to judge for yourself. Uh, and you know, really, what it has been, Jake, is it's been like there's been like two highlights. Like every day has like uh, usually a Watson throw, and then either a defensive play or you know today there was a little scuffle. There's like two things, and that's as much as we really get to see that like really kind of gets torn apart. And and I feel like, yeah, training camp's passed. It's like every camp has like five or six different – every practice has five or six different things to get excited about. I wonder if we'll see some things that come out and whether they do that on the Unleashed stuff, their social media. I'm so used to saying building the Browns, but their their coverage of the team from a, from a uh, show standpoint – I, I, I thought to myself as you were answering that, may, maybe they used or thought that they should use this time in West Virginia. They're getting obviously a leg up by being in the Hall of Fame game. You get to start earlier. You get an extra game, which is a unique advantage. I'm wondering if they didn't use that time. And maybe this is a question that Kevin has either answered or has not been asked and maybe could answer. If they said, we're going to go down there, we're just going to use it as a chance to really mentally drive home a lot of things like like instead of being a physical session down there they just used a lot of time yeah. where guys were away from their normal lives to really hone in and focus in on the mental side of things mm-hmm. like the film the the uh, you know the the verbiage of play like you're getting a new defense so there's a lot of verbiage discussion a lot of how that all clicks together and then like on the other side of that that probably translates to the practice field where they're going through a lot of mental reps half speed quarter speed reps where like we had talked about the the dwarf type sessions we used to name and recognizing formations and alignments. And like that leads to folks covering it. Not, you know, you're not going to shoot that stuff. That's not the stuff that gets. So I like, I think that if I had to guess, and this is, this is conjecture because hey, I haven't seen it asked or answered. Maybe again, I'm not saying it has him yeah. through everything he, here, but he, I'll just jump in and tell you, he did. Yeah. He did speak to that. Uh, I think it was pre practice yesterday talking about Friday's practice. Cause Friday was the first padded practice, but they didn't, yeah really practice they just did individuals and Mm -hmm. i i i I believe it was yesterday these all kind of run together at this point but i believe it was yesterday somebody asked him about how deliberate he's being and if he's doing that more because they have more time and he said essentially yes that they have because they have more time they can ramp up more slowly than you typically would for an nfl team in a training camp so, yeah. So actually, you talk, you know, questions about acclimation periods and stuff like that. Exactly. I see him answering that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, they're taking this time to pull everybody away. We have these eight advantage days before a game that nobody else gets to play. And we're going to use that as a hyper-focused in one space all the time, football 24-7 focus area. So maybe when these guys get back into Tuesday after the Hall of Fame game, they'll really start like, okay, now we're essentially at – ground zero let's work from here and they they start to height like ramp it up a little bit because i think you can notice as well as i did andrew like i felt like people that were there covering it who have done it for a significant amount of time were like where's the action we're not yeah. getting much this is yeah. like very light right so just food for thought on you know a why we're feeling that way and b why you might notice a little less from the content side of things than you're uh, typically accustomed to so made reference to it they are off on monday as you listen to this podcast and then they will get back for the first open public berea uh, session on Tuesday. And then before you know it, I think what Thursday is the hall of fame game. So yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll be here before you know it. And um, 
you know, on that note, before we jump back to things that we wanted to hear from camp, there was an announcement from the Jets side today. Zach Wilson intends to get most of the snaps. I'm not even sure who the third quarterback is for the Jets after Wilson. Maybe, you know, I don't know, but I don't know. Sure yeah. There'll be another quarterback that finds his way onto the football field. Um, it seems like today, Kevin mentioned that Dorian Thompson Robinson will get a lot of snaps. So I would imagine it's, it's going to be DTR and, and uh, Kellen Mond who are going to get a lot of time in this game. And it'll be fun to watch Dorian Thompson Robinson get some time in, in, a, in a NFL game where he gets a chance to start, right? Cause it'll still feel normal to him. He's coming off being a college starter for like 17 years. He'll now <laughs> get that opportunity to start in a game. And there's a lot of optimism around that, right? I think it should be a fun thing to watch, at least make it worth tuning into. Right. Yeah. The other Jets quarterback is a guy named Aaron Rodgers, who I don't know too much about. No, uh, they've got Tim Boyle and Chris Streveler. Man, so three quarterbacks probably will will see the field for the Jets. Uh, and I, yeah. I don't think I don't I wouldn't expect Kevin to put Dobbs out there. So I think for the Browns, it'll be mm-hmm. DTR and Mon, probably a half each, something like that. Right. Um, yeah, sounds right. And and yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm excited about it. I uh, we were talking a little bit before the show. I, I think, you know, uh, talking about Josh Dobbs last year, he had that kind of go out there, run around, make some. Uh, throws on the move uh, pre preseason uh, start. Uh, I think it was their first week. Uh, you know, it's hard to remember all this stuff. And it kind of got people excited. You know, people were really, really kind of fired up to, to see him out there making things happen. And, um, you know, uh, talking about, you know, maybe he should be the backup instead of Jacoby Brissett because Jacoby looked a little bit iffier in his starts. And, you know, people get excited about these preseason things. Well, I think if, if Dobbs moved that needle, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to is going to uh, put it at 11 right like I mean he mm-hmm. is he's kind of built for the preseason in the NFL right because he's a height weight speed guy who can make plays with his arm but can also make plays with his leg and is probably from what we've seen of this offense so far in in West Virginia is going to be in an offense that kind of accentuates those abilities so uh, I'm yeah I'm kind of excited just to see what he can do and and it's going to be you know, probably a very pro Browns crowd being in Canton. Right. So, um, you know, I think it could be, it, you know, it's, it looks, it's not the same thing as, is them, you know, uh, having a big game on September 10th, but it, it, there's never a bad time to win a football game. Right. So like it, even being a preseason, I think it would just be fun to see those guys go out there. And, you know, even if we don't see the full, you know, arsenal that we're going to see in the regular season, I think kind of seeing, we're going to get some real glimpses of what what's changed about the offense and, and the sort of stuff that they're running, right? Yeah, they're not going to revert to this uh, consistency of things. You'll, you'll see some things that look the same, but you're not going to see everything look the same as it has with with Dorian Thompson Robin. I mean, it's, he's that he's a different type of quarterback, right? right? I mean, just he follows into the uh, Watson mold of quarterback. So I, I expect to see some things look look a little bit different. But yeah, there's nothing more that, that people like than preseason quarterbacks scrambling around for touchdowns, man. Like that gets that's gets the juices flowing. And I will predict the obvious will happen, which is he'll make some great throw. He'll make some great run and there'll be people he should start, right? Right. The yeah. Browns should just move on from on. It's gonna be like a funny little <laughs> national thing that they always do. These uh these Oh yeah. Games. No, the national folks are gonna be all over that angle of it of like this is better than any throw Watson made in the six games he played last year. There there will definitely <laughs> yeah, be some that's of that it. for sure. That's that's one hundred percent it. The uh, yeah. this is Watson didn't make this throw last right, year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you can that. you can write that down in pen for sure. Nailed it. Okay. Yeah. There. The, and again, there will be backups that play. Like it's going to be obviously heavy backups in this game, but but there, there's going to be some guys that are going to be meaningful backups that, that will get a chance. Yeah. And, and we're joking here about Dorian Thompson Robinson a little bit, but 
you know, the opportunity for him to seize that job is sitting there, yeah. the backup role. If he's good enough in the preseason, they will, he will make that decision challenge. They love Josh Dobbs. They love him. Yep. They brought him back when they didn't have to bring him back. And the, the, to uproot him is going to take a, an, an effort, a real effort. And, you know, obviously with that pick too, we've talked about this, Andrew, where you want that pick to result in something. Maybe it's a trade option down the line because he plays so well in the preseason. So you right. do, you are really pulling for him to look really good for, for several layered reasons. So, um, all right, let's move off that. So what we want to move back to is like the highlights of the last two days that have mattered, right? So I think that one thing that struck in uh, between you and I, at least, because we talked about it in the OBR Slack was uh, points made by Wyatt Teller. One of the more candid interviews with with things that we've seen from a player where they hit on the things that matter, at least things that mattered to this podcast over the last six months. <laughs> so the first question he was asked about, um, you know, is, is is basically like his injury compared to Joe Burrow because he's he dealt with, and we pointed this out a few days ago, that he's one of the few guys who have dealt with calf strains that have held him out for a little bit of time. Talk about he's praying for Joey. He said it's tough. Depend depends on the location of the position. Like the position of the calf strain is always important. He said it's one of those things that when it happened in 2020, it was a different muscle, gastric instead of soleus. No clue what that means. Sure, he does because he's, he was living that life. Um, depending on which one it is, he said, I mean, you're pounding the ground, all that different stuff. It's hard to put pressure on. It's hard to stop the bull rush. So much of that being an offensive lineman is being able to anchor that leg. Usually if you're like a DB or a quarterback or skill guys, they have, they can come back a little quicker because it's repetitive sets and it's not too bad in terms of like the anchor push off. Right. So, um, but you know, they're not pounding the ground kind of thing is what he said. So he's illuminating a little bit of what we said, right, Andrew, which is it's, it's a calf strain. That's not as bad for some, there, let's, we'll put it this way. There's variance in calf strains. Like, like there's no universal one, one set stone, return period for a calf strain. They suck. Offensive linemen, it's particularly brutal in, in general, right? It's, it's not fun. So yeah. Um, yeah. he also said, uh, he was asked about grade one, two, or three for him. He said, I don't remember, but it was naggy. I came back, got bursitis in my left knee. Everything that happened on my left, I think it was in practice, and it got a little like a low ankle sprain in practice. And then he said, I was thinking to myself, why me, God? But it all worked out. I wish I played a little bit better last year. There's no excuse, but yeah, it was tough. So... <laughs> we should probably talk about that. I think the thing that I said to you before the show, and then I'll let you kind of jump in to give your thought on it too, is we are, um, I don't, I don't think we have enough, me, I want to speak for you, have enough empathy for injuries. Like I played small college football, nothing serious. I don't take it too serious, but I did live in like the, like the, the world that it, that is, it is still very real football to people who did it. So like, I know that as a quarterback, I wasn't taking the weekly practice beatings, but there were days after games on those Sundays where I physically couldn't move. Like either I had like taken a bunch of hits and it was hard to get out of bed, like like physically hard to get out of bed, or you've jammed your hands into certain plate. Like you, you hit a helmet with a hand and you, you can't make a fist. And I was thinking of this last night. I've been in the middle of like watching that Netflix quarterback show, which is so good. I don't know if you've gotten into that, Andrew, but it's so good. Yeah. And like, they like Kirk Cousins is going through this horrible, horrible rib injury, mm -hmm. like sternum issue. And he's just talking about these these things about like I couldn't get out of bed or, you know, like can't close his fist to do certain things. And it's just I think that what you can do is you can you, you pull yourself away from the game and you just look at it from a who's playing well and who's playing bad, like like viewpoint. You can miss the issue that these guys are having with their body. And there's no doubt that I think we've made this deduction over the years. Healthy Wyatt Teller is a pretty good football player. Injured Wyatt Teller, nagging injuries, whatever. It just, 
and this is not lacking empathy. It's just he's not as good. Mm -hmm. So I guess the credit goes to like what my thought process is as a response to this is I should have more. Um, and Denzel's a good case of this at the beginning of last year where he had that ankle injury over the summer and it clearly lingered, but it's like, how do you go about an analysis tied to that? Because you right. do, you are looking at a make or miss league. Like you either make your rep work or you don't. And it's just sort of hard to say, well, he's hurt. Well, it's kind of like, if you listen to everybody, they're all hurt, right? right. Like everybody's right. beat up in the NFL. So it's like, you got to have empathy, but you also have to say, and I'm sure that Wyatt's saying it here too. I wish I'd played better, but there's no excuse. You just got to still kind of find a way to get the job done too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, just to add on to your point, I, I, I did not, you know, play uh, college football or anything like that, but, but I know enough about like, you know, just little, you know, just in the course of having uh, physically demanding jobs, right. Or anything that you do in life, if one part of your body gets injured then typically the next thing that happens is as you're dealing with that injury you're compensating somewhere else right it's a the whole thing is a closed system so if if you've got a bad right calf now you're using your left leg to do more and that's putting more strain on those joints and muscles and so you know that's where that bursitis type stuff the ankle sprain all that stuff gets brought into play because things are out of balance and so it's yeah it's not just that you everybody's carrying an injury, but then often if you have an injury, it, it can turn into other things. And so, it, you know, that's how they linger is it's not even just necessarily the original issue, but it's now the, the, the fallout of that. So, yeah, I mean, as, as you know, and to your other point about how do you analyze a player or even a team, right? Like we, we often talk about teams, you know, like, uh, that that struggle with injury. I'm trying to think of an example from last year of a team that you know we thought was going to do X, Y, and Z, and they couldn't because the injuries just piled up. The Ravens are probably yep. There, yes, that, thank right? you, thank you. Yeah, and so so there's two ways of looking at that, right? Like you can say, well, they aren't likely to be as hurt this year, but then we've also seen the same teams. The Chargers are at the top of my mind year yeah. after year stuff's happening. And so then you, you know, you, you, you start to think about, ask questions about things like the training staff and their protocols for handling injuries and their, their uh, recovery facilities and all. I mean, it's when you're talking about, you know, 53, including the practice squad, 70 different guys on your team and, and how complicated a single body is, you now, let alone 70, uh, you know, in a, in a physical sport, a violent sport, it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it becomes really hard to separate the reality of talent from the reality of playing injured and it, the, the sport being one that demands that of you. And so I, I, I almost think you have to set injury aside when you're talking about this stuff because, you, first of all, you don't ever know because while Wyatt Teller is comfortable saying this publicly, other players aren't. And yeah. so you can be comparing Wyatt Teller to a player favorably, but maybe that's because Teller is healthy and, and the other guy isn't, right? So I think you have to almost set it aside because I don't think that it helps you meaningfully contextualize the results because it's 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 the exact same conversation that we had two years ago about Baker Mayfield's uh, you know throwing or non-throwing shoulder injury, right? 
That was exhausting, specifically because there was a segment of the fan base that wanted to use that as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Even when you were on your show breaking down the film saying, this doesn't have anything to do with his mechanics. This is just him not knowing where the safety is going to be. This is him, I mean, that Packers game. This is him playing Halo all week and showing up and thinking that he could just rip a few seam balls and throwing four interceptions, costing them the game, right? Like, you can say, oh, Baker was hurt, and that's the only reason the Browns season was bad. But that's you're not being fair to the team, that that player, or your experience as a fan, if that's the way that you look at it. So I think that you can talk about injuries as, as a way of understanding what these players go through. And like you said, they all go through it. But I think at the point that you start to try and say, well, we're going to say that the first five games of the year count, and then the, the next six don't count, but then the last – Six do count because he was bet. You know, like I think you're now you're you're cutting too fine, and I think you have to look at it holistically. If a player is well enough to suit up, you know they're hurt but not injured, then I think you got to just say you, what you put on tape is your performance. Yeah, there's there's some obvious ones here and there that that sit in that that mix that take a player from. And this is where I give like a good example of that is like Denzel Ward, I think is a fair, like yeah, he's definitely. been this player and then all of a sudden he's not. And right. it's like, you can start to do some of that, but yeah, it's, it's a dangerous territory. And it, and it speaks to what you're, you're saying there speaks to a little bit of something else I've taken from that quarterback segment, which is, you know, like uh, the, the, there's a specific moment in that, 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 it can harkens back to Kirk Cousins in that show, but uh, and they they went to Philly and they played the Eagles and he threw an interception where Justin Jefferson just ran the wrong route. Yep, he takes blame. There's another yep. play where Kirk doesn't he checks into the wrong run that was mm-hmm. dead on arrival and he takes blame. So like there are just examples where and again I have admitted the thing that I am doing as I try to break down film is I'm taking like seventy percent of the information and there's 30% of just gray area. And that's kind of the thing that is, is interesting to me when you look at sort of the analytics and the black and white that they want to operate in with some decision-making and some things around analysis of football and whole and, and, and as a whole, which is it's very dangerous to like, for okay. Say Dalvin cook has a bad game. Well, they, they were giving him the wrong run scheme all game. They're giving him the wrong run scheme. They look back at it. They screwed it up. The coaching staff schematically screwed it up. The quarterback's calling the wrong play. Kirk Cousins has two interceptions. He's getting killed for it. But Justin Jefferson says, hey, man, I didn't read that coverage the right way, and I ran the wrong route. But that still lands in Kirk's lap. Mm-hmm. Like That's why football is this 11 guys have to do everything the right way to make the play. That's why football is it's super unique, but it's so hard with what information we do have to judge these things. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see teams make some decisions around players or contracts or whatever. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense, but they know some things that we don't, not that they don't still screw the stuff up, but I just think that this is a sport where we speak in these absolutes at times and Hey, it's not always that way. Like mm-hmm. it just, it, you want to believe it is, but it's not. And there's this, gray area of football where people like to kind of like they want to make it like baseball which is very rigid a bunch of one-on-one battles right football there are a bunch of one-on-one battles but in the middle of that the one-on-one impacts the next one-on-one in the next one-on-one and that's what makes it a, a sport that i think as we're pushing toward this era of numbers deciding a lot of things 
I think it's dangerous to try to replicate baseball and boil it down to this some of these very specific numbers where you're, you're, you're maybe like pro football focuses the, these war numbers. And it's like, I, <laughs> there's just too much interdependency on some things here to, to speak definitively to num- the, the, I think the numbers are a great pathway to some thought process that you should be having, but using them as this defined, perfectly defined thing is extremely dangerous. And like the football reminds you of that often put it that way. I think that's very well said. Yeah. I I think that, that the, you know, the, the trying to ever speak, we've talked about this in some different capacities, but I think it's worth restating here. Trying to talk about the NFL as a sure thing to me is both futile in terms of you're going to be wrong and less interesting, (laughs) right? Because the reason it is the most popular sport in America is because there seems to be every week a window between 3.30 and 4.15 where the wildest shit imaginable happens just every second. And so trying to take that, what that, that chaos, right, that the, the, that red, the Red Zone channel has made its money on, trying to take that and distill it down to, well, this guy was bad last year, so he's going to be bad this year. Or, you know, this team has been bad for five years, so they're bad this year. It's like, why do you want to do that? Why on earth would you want to do that? Or, or, you know, to, to, to the point about the injuries, oh, that guy's always hurt. So he's never going to be good. Or, or, you know, that guy was playing hurt. And so he's going to be great again this year. Or, I mean, it's just not, to me, it is not interesting to talk about the NFL in absolutes. That's why you'll notice that often these podcasts between Jake and I go like an hour long because (laughs) it's real easy to do a show where you're like, good, good, bad, good, uh, and that guy's bad. And then you're done. You know, you can just wrap it all up in about 10 minutes. But if you try and really dig into understanding, like Jake said, it's like 70% of it. But even trying to understand that 70% of it still takes a ton of time, effort, and thought. Yeah. And and it's when you get those glimpses into the other 30%, which you don't you don't often enough, right? that's what makes them like that rare filet mignon yeah. of football, right? And, so. and to your point, that's what makes this quarterback show so compelling because – you know, the, like the other thing with, with the cousin stuff is you see how hard he works every week, yeah. the hours he's putting in just to get his body back to be ready mm-hmm. to go out there again the next Sunday. And, and that's, just for everybody to belittle who he is too. Ex- I know, I know, I know. I mean, I, that show gave me such an appreciation for him as a person and, and a guy who is, you know, really a much more interesting person than a punchline, you know, I mean, that's the only way I can think to say it is just like, I I really have a lot of, a lot more respect for him and, and how it's so clear how deeply he cares about, you know, the craft of what he does. And, and I, you know, that, that's another angle of this, Jake, right? Like we forget that these guys, for these guys, this is like their profession. It's their chosen profession. And like the, the point I'm trying to make here is if Kirk Cousins is spending an extra six hours a day of his day, when time when he could be at home with his family in the cold tub or whatever other things he's doing, you know, uh, chiropractic, all the different things that he does just to get out there for the next Sunday. We also know that there are other players that aren't doing that. I'm not saying that Wyatt Teller is not doing that. I'm not calling anybody out, but I'm saying mm-hmm. just like any other job, there are people that are willing to go the extra mile. And then there are people who are looking at the clock and they're like, okay, I can get out of here. And if I have the plane ready at the airport, I can be in Vegas from now until practice on Wednesday afternoon and nobody will notice. Yeah. But there's, 
yeah it shows up on sunday yeah no it does it does and like it's just it's just amazing it's so rare and i love this quarterback show because it gives you a glimpse into the things you you want to ignore like you football's just this sunday meal right. waiting for people that right. they forget they have no idea what these guys go through just yep. to get to sundays man and it's like you know it speaks there's a different entirely different massive conversation to have around the united states and how much we care about like these sports and football and, yeah for sure um you know we've we've turned them into these it's you can't go back we just it's too far gone like we just care about them entirely too much and um you know the the pressure of these jobs is you're talking about this like yeah it's just you boil it down to simplicity it's just a job right it's right. just a job and there are varying levels of skill to every job and varying levels of commitment to every job but this is like the most pressure-packed shit man it's right. so pressure-packed it's so everything's riding on you leading you know five hundred thousand total fans and more out there and your team not then you know your team and your organization and like watching cousins go in there and shake the hands of like like having on the road in washington having to shake like 15 right front office members hands before getting even to the locker room talk to his guys right like it's just how how many people care about this stuff is sort of mind-blowing at times but it's it's the the pressure that comes with all of that and the way we just speak about these people so flippantly. Yep. And that's the same thing I, you talked about your growing respect for Kirk Cousins. And I, I think I've said it on this show and I know I've said it in our Slack and I've said it to anybody I, I think cares about the NFL is that play callers podcast that Jordan Rodriguez did for the athletic. Like I just left it with such a different in, impression of Mike McDaniel. You, yes. you don't know these guys. You yep. don't know yep. like, like Mike McDaniel being a nobody who didn't really play call. Like he didn't come from any family that mattered. He worked his ass off. Hey, I dealt with like the pressure of trying to do these things. I dealt with the pressure of it. I got, I, I abused alcohol and then I got my life back together. And then he, and, like, just the, the human, like the way that guy talks about perspective mm-hmm. and everything he's been through. It's like, you just leave it. Like I'm pulling for that guy. I'm for pulling sure. for that guy 100%. when it, on the surface, he's the one that like everybody wants to joke about or make fun of, or yeah. like, this guy looks like the stepchild of someone running an NFL organization. It's like, no, nah, man, that guy's got a story. Yep. If you don't know it, uh, like I didn't, it's it's it can be really sad. And I think that there's probably I'll admit this. There's probably more content out there like this that I just can't find or I don't find or don't have the time to find. So it's not like this stuff isn't being made. I'm not trying to say that. But when you get a glimpse at these things that quarterback there on Netflix provides or the play caller show, it's just it's so good. I wish NFL teams and the Browns in particular could yes. do more of it where yep. we just get to know more about the people, right? Because that, that really grows a connection from yep. fan to, to organization and the commitment level to all of this stuff. So um, yeah, kind of got out in the weeds on this because we're supposed to be talking about camp, but I yep. just think there's a lot of good stuff to hit on there. We'll wrap up Wyatt Teller now. Um, so the, the the question was asked about Deshaun Watson, um, and, and here's it was a great question actually. I, I can't remember. Do you know who asked it? I can't remember who I asked it. Um, he said, "Are you guys? Uh, how about Deshaun? Are you guys getting a really good feel for how to block? And it seems like so much is new. So maybe even you guys learned or did in the last six days last year could be different. So how's that going? Kind of phrased weird, but basically, I, yeah. Saying, I think that was Mary Kay, if I remember correctly." Yeah, basically they're saying you guys are getting accustomed to him in this yeah. last the six games last year don't don't mean as much the performance. So he said, yeah, we'd experienced a little bit last year. The playbook didn't fully change, but it was a little different personnel, different plays. It's no excuse for one of the best offensive lines in the league. We need to adjust to that. Last year that we had 
all off season with Deshaun. Then right before the season, we kind of found out that wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to be playing. Jacoby played out of his mind, played amazing. And I love Jacoby, but we were expecting number four. That's pretty telling Andrew. It that really like, is, yeah. That they were, I think that the way the organization, the internal belief was it was a four game maximum, maybe even no suspension. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Like, yeah. Listening to those, to, to that quote, you know, it's the way he said it, the intonation, all, you know, all the little details, it to me sounded like they thought they were going to appeal that thing, you know, and then it was going to get thrown, you know, the judge was going to throw it out or whatever, you know, and, and then, or whatever, I don't even remember the process now, but I guess that, that the judge was going to see that the precedent was, you know, that, that, that didn't result in a punishment. I, you know, I, I don't know. I think, you know, I think in some way, it was probably a misapprehension. And I, you know, I think like the, the general consensus, even when he, the trade happened in March was that he was going to be out at least four. Yeah. And so if, if, if the organization was under the impression he was going to get nothing, I think that was a, a a, an error in judgment, which is, you know, arguably one of many by this front (laughs) office in this whole fiasco, Mm -hmm. but but the point is, is that I think that they, you know, the, 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 or maybe the players had that expectation because, you know, they look at it from a player standpoint of like, well, he didn't, you know, get, he didn't get popped for weed or whatever. So we know what the rules are, you know, or performance enhancing drugs or whatever. So maybe it was more of a player thing. I don't know, but I think that it's clear that he thought they thought that he was going to be there for most of the season. Like you said, four at the most, but, but really the way you said it, it really sounds like they were expecting him to be available all season. And maybe they thought, you know, maybe they thought it was going to be uh, some sort of a lawsuit situation where it was going to be, you know, put on hold and he was going to be able to play while the lawsuit was pending. I, I really don't know what the thinking was internally, but it was just interesting because I think, you know, covering it from the outside, we had really gotten to the point of expecting it's a six game minimum once it had been handed down and it was only going to get longer, but they, they sounded blindsided, you know, and that was, as we've discussed previously on this podcast, that was the week of the Eagles joint practices yep. uh, that that came down. And and so that's late in the preseason. That was after, I think, two preseason games. So really puts you behind the eight ball in terms of your prep for the season. And obviously things, you know, kind of led to all the other, uh, you know, ups and downs that the team faced over the course of the last season. Yeah, he kept going. He said, this is why speaking again after he said we expected number four. So it was a little bit of a change to go kind of heavier run offense and then kind of change that too, because he is special. He's a special quarterback kind of moving to where he's running the ball and stuff like that. It was a little bit of an adjustment, but I believe our offensive line and we should have done a little bit better. He's confirming everything for us here, right? He's the first player I can remember kind of publicly saying we expected to have four for last year for a bigger portion of the year. That's at least first one I can remember. So he's saying that news came out. They adjusted. We're going to have Jacoby playing more. We're going to go back to more of what we did with Baker, run heavier offense. They, they probably at that point believed, the coaching staff did, that this is second nature to these guys. They'll be able to handle it, right? Yep. Um, and then, like he says here, then they, they brought Deshaun back in. We tried to switch it back up, and it was just, an, and again, it was just a little too late to completely change some of the portions of who they are. 
And again, this is kind of confirming our priors here. And it's nice to hear the player say this, but that's, that's exactly what he's saying. He also talked about somebody asked with the follow-up, the hardest part of making that adjustment to Deshaun, is it something in technique or just patience? He said, yeah, it's kind of play calling and coach is good at what he does. He's one of the best, I believe at what he does. So kind of adjusting to having a different quarterback, someone who can really run out the backside of a play. So when you're pass blocking, you got to deal with someone who can spread that field. So you've got to be able to get your hands inside, stay in front, use your free, your feet to stay in front. I mean, I think we're giving you pretty good insight on this podcast when I've said many times, like you're playing defense with him instead of I have to deliver a punch. I need to drive this guy out of a window and I can get this done in three seconds and the ball will be released. Typically, it's a different style of quarterback who will hold on to it. And, you know, at times we'll be on time with timing and at times we'll try to hold on to it to create. And it's just, it's a completely different type of guy where as a, as a, as an alignment, you get used to like, Hey, most of the time when I, when I hit my drop, when I hit my point, when I do my rep, I know the ball is either out or we've taken a sack within the first four and a half seconds, right? Something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. It, with with Deshaun, you're going to have times where he creates out of craziness. He'll either save you or sometimes hurt you um, as a lineman because, you know, maybe if the ball was delivered on time, you wouldn't have had this situation. But more often than not, he is saving you. So there's just a – got to get used to it. I don't know what other way to say it, than, and he's saying it here. You know, we just have to get used to it. So I think that that, that kind of wraps up. There's some other stuff he talks about with – you know, the strike system that Scott Peters has and how that's helping them sort of cut after the 20 season where they weren't calling many holding calls. Then in 21, there was an uptick. I think I think White had like 11 holding calls in 21. Then Peters became more, um, their strike system became more of a bigger deal. He went back down to six holding calls, or I don't know if it was six total holding calls, but he went down to six penalties, but um, just a, just a better overall performance. So, but the the things that are important, you get some interesting uh, thoughts around how long, they expected him out last year, how that the ramifications of that whole, the whole fallout, how the offense teetered back and forth, all things that we've said, and I think have been abundantly obvious. And then on the flip side of that, again, you, you hear him talk about how they have to adjust for Watson again, things we have noted. And it's just good to hear the players say that, right? So um, good stuff from Wyatt Teller all around other, um, other things uh, that have happened. Like there's a, the, the big highlights that have been out. There's that one on one on one with Denzel. And uh, it's been like a, uh, a football uh, discussion point. Well, I mean, yeah, like sort Johnson of a football Rorschach or, test, right? Like that's, it, a, that's it, the right way to say it, it can be anything right? you want it to be. You just have to watch a single goal line rep and you can see galaxies. Yes, precisely. The ball's at like the two yard line. It snapped <laughs> in the shotgun. So like if you watch this play, which is a popular concept, right? When wide receivers tie the line, they'll run these little stutter fades to the corner. Quarterback puts it on the back pylon, either lobbing it or darting it, depending on how he wants to throw against the coverage. This is very popular. There's a, there's a branch off of that. We used to call it fade stop. Some people call it fade uh, fade back. Like there have been different things that people have called this. We actually called it fade back. Some people call it fade stop. But you're basically you're selling it. Stutter, jab, get to the corner pylon on your route there about five steps. Or sometimes sometimes coaches coach it up as like a depth thing when you're halfway, you're five yards deep in the end zone. Then you put the the inside foot down and get back to the front pylon. Um, it's just basically a comeback route, but it's just it's running away to get the cornerback to believe certain things. The ball snapped at the two. I think you and I determined, um, and I, and I, I'm not trying to belittle anybody. This is what, this is what this whole thing is about. Like these camp practices are about quarterback wide receiver, knowing the depth or knowing the number of steps and when the ball should get released. I think the ball from Deshaun was released a little bit late. The ball should have been out before the head turned 
and the ball ends up getting delivered at like the one yard line outside the end zone. Uh, Denzel does a great job covering it, getting under the inside hip, thinks he has an interception more actually than one ups him and kind of like takes his comeback, but then somehow bends that inside shoulder and works back almost. I don't know how to describe it. I think he feels him. I think he feels him on his inside, his his right hip. He kind of feels like curling around a screen, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like he kind of curls inside and catches it before, but he's, he's working so far backward that if he, if this is a game, he catches that in that manner, he's getting tackled by a pursuing linebacker or for a loss somebody. Yes. It's not going to turn into a good play, but, but you know, one-on-ones are just the, they're the, uh, um, worst part of preseason. They're great, but they're also the worst because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, double moves and one-on-ones are just kind of like this yeah. this cheat code or, and it's not fun. But again, you do have to cover one-on-ones at times uh, and double moves in game situations. So it's not like you're just ignoring that, but it is uh, certainly uh, slanted to the offense. We'll say it that way. But it's just, it was a good rep all the way around. And I think that points to what you were trying to point out, which is that this secondary seems to you know, they seem to be having a pretty good camp from the glimpses that we've seen collectively. Denzel looks sharp, I think. Um, we've seen some 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 Juan Thornhill here and there, and I've certainly seen some some man coverage stuff that has been popping up more than I'm accustomed to seeing. And they keep saying it, too. They're not yeah. being secretive about yeah. it. But the defense has been playing pretty well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the narrative from, from West Virginia, and we kind of talked at the top about how hard it has been to track all of this, but the narrative has been, you know, what the beat reporters have been saying is that the offense, certainly through mini camp, you know, uh, through the summer and then into the beginning of training camp, looked ahead and was was having a lot of success. Over the last day or two, three days maybe, the the, the defense has really come back and I think has kind of dominated some of these periods. In some of the red zone stuff, I don't think the offense has even gotten in the end zone. And so, you know, it, this is one of those things where, it's good news, bad news, right? Like it's the, it's the Browns defense looking good, but that means the Browns offense is looking bad. So, you know, one way that you can do this and the the cop out in my mind is like iron sharpens iron, everybody's getting better. And you know, the, here we come Super Bowl or whatever. Right. But I, I, I think it, you know, the, to me, it's the story is more about the defense probably as, as we talked about a little bit ago, they're, they're really taking their time through the install to get these guys, you know, kind of familiar with a new defensive scheme. It would make sense that as they're getting more familiar, as the days go by, they're starting to kind of play with more confidence, with more speed. Uh, And especially to your point, Jake, if they're playing a lot of man, that confidence and speed and, and really kind of swagger shows up more, the more you do it. And I think that's where they're at, right? I think they are, I think the defense is starting to kind of feel comfortable whereas I think the offense is probably still pretty vanilla I would guess at this point like they're not Mm -hmm. obviously they're not doing any scheme stuff against their own defense they're still doing their own install and so it's at this point now after a week where the defense is like well we've seen that one so we know how that works right Um, I I think that to me feels like the story I'm happy to be wrong about that but I think that's kind of where we're at I think it'll be you know of course it's always interesting even if it is backups it's always interesting to see how this stuff looks on the field against another team. Because while having said that about the defense in the secondary, there was that clip yesterday of Anthony Schwartz <laughs> seemingly left unattended uh, in the, in the, you know, the deep on the down the deep right sideline and Watson found him for a, a long touchdown. Uh, when you, when you watch that a few times, it's very hard to see because the camera angle was 
far away. There was like a pylon in the way, but that looked like a, a safety was coming out from the inside to try and cover Schwartz on a, on a, a probably a double move the way that it, it unfolded, but you can't really see it because the way it's shot. Anyway, I think there's it, like a goal post in the way or some sort of, yeah, but got in the it, way of it. It, yeah, it, it kind of, but still it's, it looks an awful lot like a blown coverage and that's, yeah, I mean, going to have give a lot of us flashbacks to last year. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall you, I think it's an encouraging story about the defense kind of finding their stride under a new defensive coordinator. But, you know, as I said, I think continuing to see it through the preseason, through these games, and then especially, you know, like those practices against the Eagles, we'll have some better sense of like where they're actually at. Yeah. that You can convince yourself of a lot of things from, yeah. from preseason clips. And that, that is, it's it's amazing to me how different football looks in preseason Twitter clips versus what it looks like when you have like normal <laughs> TV cameras. That's always been astounding to me. Yes. It's like these guys can't do anything right. Oh, okay. Well, actually, when they put them in TV and all this, it doesn't look half bad. Right. So, um, all right. We will s- stop talking about camp. There is um, that we should actually mention one more thing that Jerome Ford and Jakeem Grant yeah both the last two days yeah have been missing from from camp I, I don't know I have, we have gotten zero this. details go ahead I, I would love to hear it so my theory on this is just essentially like these are young guys that have been away from home for you know a week now that you know they left last Saturday I believe so mm-hmm. it's it's been eight days uh I could see a scenario coming up where they're needed at home you know for family stuff whatever and the team says basically, well, you know, go do that. There's no sense in you coming back. We'll see you on Tuesday, basically. Because, I mean, it's not great to miss practices, obviously. But if you have a, you know, a, a family member who's sick or, I mean, these things come up, right? Like if you need are needed to be home, then it's not like, whereas if they were in Berea, you could take the afternoon off, you know, you could, you could attend to these things and then come back. But if you leave rural southern west virginia you're not coming back so i that's my my guess is that they both had you know stuff of a personal you know obviously it's of a personal nature but it's something that came up that was Mm -hmm. you know related to family issues or whatever they need they needed to be back in cleveland so they left a little bit early that's very fair that could certainly be the case and we hope that's the case that nothing no no yeah no obviously we hope it's it's all just kind of you know it's i mean it, it has to be tough i was on a business trip last week from Sunday to Thursday. And, uh, when I got home, I was, I was toast, man. So like, <laughs> I get it. This is yeah. a five-star resort, but it's the same thing. Yeah. So the, the last thing too, is the, um, the, the slap heard around the world today. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> but, uh, if you don't know, we're talking about Mary Kay Cabot posted oh, a video. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, was uh, rushing around the edge balls <laughs> delivered. I think he doesn't like uh, James Hudson sort of yeah. staying on his back, yeah. pushing him into the ground yep. uh, after the ball's gone. So he's talking to him. He gets up and like a little brother so who great. is like, you know, I don't so want to deal. This dude's huge. I don't yep. really want to fight him, uh, but I still want him to know. I think I was right. Like <laughs> kind of like bitch slaps him and runs yeah. Yeah. and then like he runs away of like, uh, he won't chase me. Oh God, he's chasing me. Ah, I got to face it now. He like <laughs> and runs, runs back to the defensive side, right? So yes. he's like surrounded by all his guys, hundred yeah. percent surrounded by his defensive guys. Yeah. And uh, just, it's sort of the ultimate hold me back, break us up before this. Exactly. Gets into yes, a real exactly. Deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt more yeah. playful to me than anything. I think I agree. These guys I are agree. also getting to know each other. Yeah. And like, I agree, you know, Hudson doesn't know Okoronkwo from anyone. Yeah. It's probably the first yeah. time they've met has been this summer. And like, right. 
Um, yeah. You know, it, it just is a, it's just like, oh, right. how far can I push this guy? Does he think this is funny? Like, he didn't know me well enough to know that that slap was just me trying to be like, right. you know, just trying to be a goofball. And, and I, I, people yeah. taking it way too serious. The, the bigger issue is Jedrick Wills <laughs> pulling his usual stunt of, uh, you know, you go watch it for yourself, folks. I mean, there's he's turned all around the wrong direction the way he does. And, and, and some people thought you know, I got into an argument with someone on Twitter who thinks I'm pointing that out in an evil manner. I'm just saying, hey, man. This is what he's done for years. So you can either believe that this is you can you can use the he's going against Miles Garrett excuse all you want, but he's been doing the same stuff for three years. Mm -hmm. And this is nothing new. And I wouldn't say it if it wasn't if it was just some rookie or second year player who's never shown this habit, probably yeah. wouldn't point it out. Yeah. But it's a guy that I've tried to extensively point out things about, and he's doing a pretty yeah. poor habit from years past. Probably gonna say something, but I think the bigger issue is how he reacts to the fight and just you know, everyone's running to it and he doesn't want any part of it. Not interesting. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I mean, it's listen, Jake, it's a totally fair criticism because the Browns just guaranteed him what, eighteen and a half million dollars for next year? They picked they up did. his fifth year option, it's fully guaranteed. We know from this time last year how hard it is to move a fully guaranteed contract of a player that nobody wants. Now, you know, a a, a bad quarterback is different from a mediocre left tackle. But the Browns, there's a there's a decent chance that the Browns are in a situation next year where they're either paying him to not start because they need to replace him, or they're paying half of his salary and he's going to be someplace else because uh, he, you know, there, there's to me there's a very clear scenario where he is the weak link on this offensive line, mm -hmm. and it and it causes significant trouble because the 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 specific issue that you're pointing out is a lack of effort, and what we just got done talking about with Wyatt Teller is when a mobile quarterback extends plays, the blocking has to continue. And if Jed Wills is has got a two-and-a-half-second clock and is, it's, you know, it's almost like he's he's like he shuts off after three seconds. He'll give you a nice rep or he'll get beat either way. But after three seconds, that's it. You are not going to see any further effort on that play. And it's not going to work with Deshaun Watson as quarterback. It's just not going to – it's not going to work for this offense. And so – it's it's I mean if you're talking about like holes on the offense that could show up that aren't injury related that is high if not the top of the list. Yeah, just a reminder to me that you could have a lot of things in the right place with this group, but if they can't protect uh, with one spot as a weak link, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be really annoying. And they don't the, the, the margin for error on those third downs are so they're so tight, yeah. man. And they so do tight. not have a veteran option. They cut Joe Haig nope. in the in the off season. Uh, Chris Hubbard is just signed with somebody I can't remember who. Titans, yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> they're just they're putting together a dream team. Uh, well, and... I don't know if I call Chris Hubbard any part of a dream, but you know, <laughs> either here nor there, they, he did get uh, signed. But my point is, is that they don't have a veteran option. If they're if if Jed Wills is up to his old shenanigans, it's James Hudson or Dewan Jones on Deshaun Watson's blindside, unless they make a move over the next month. It's concerning. It remains a concern until it's not. So we'll there keep trying go. to provide. There you go. Some. Uh, I mean, listen. I want nothing more than to provide. Like, look at Jed Wills playing out of his mind clips. Like that would yeah. be great. And burying a guy, putting a guy on the ground every once in a while. Yep. It, the first person to point out that he's turned off the bad habits would, would be me. I would love to do that. So it would be make, fun. Make that happen. Make that happen. Jeff. We'd yeah. love to do that. All right. We're going to take a break and then quickly, <laughs> we're going to try to quickly go through some of our uh, tight end thoughts and then look at where we have our 53 man exercise uh, at this point. So, all right, we'll be right back. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so we move on positional preview. We're talking tight ends. So it's a limited group. Not many overall on the roster, right? They're, they have gone from like this being the most important depth position uh, out there for the Browns when Kevin Stefanski got here. Now they're sort of pushing this uh, slower and slower. Like they they were using instead of a third, fourth tight end on the roster last year, they were using an extra offensive lineman. They weren't even, they weren't even hiding their intentions around this situation. They said, we're just going to keep three. And I think that three is the, is the general thought around how many they'll keep because they only have five in general. So they have names. You obviously know David and Joku, uh, Jordan Akins and Harrison Bryant. Then they also have Thomas Greeny. Green, I think I'm saying that right. Yep. Thomas Greeny and Zaire Mitchell Payton is back once again. So, um, yeah, there, there's not a whole bunch to look at here. Who has the most on the line? I don't think Njoku has much on the line. I think you could make an argument for Njoku, maybe like having to be good this year or the contract starts getting a spot, they could move on. But that doesn't feel like he has a ton on the line. I think he's proven his worth at this point. To me, it's Harrison Bryant. Like, yeah if he can prove to be a functional third tight end who has like other teams thinking he has more upside. I, I just don't know. The, this is what's weird about the NFL. I think there's a chance here that it, Harrison Bryant is like the perfect third tight end, right? Where he right. can come in and sort of be a pseudo fullback and block out of that spot for you. He can be a wing and, and be a sort of a lead sort of edge guy. He can catch the football in certain scenarios. I think he's the perfect third tight end. He's not the second guy on any of your your, your groupings and when they put him into the second tight end position at times, it's not been fun. Um, you know, even last year he was sort of thrust into being the, the primary tight end a couple of times when Njoku was out and that was even less fun. If he's your third tight end, I think you're in a really good spot, but if Bryant doesn't have any, like if he's, he's kind of been like a 20 catch 250 yard guy, maybe he gets there again, but if he has just a nothing season of like nine catches, uh, 80 yards and maybe doesn't block very well, there's a chance there's a chance he's looking at the end of his NFL career, but I think he's worthwhile third tight end that again, I hope that there's like a future there where they just sort of keep him around on one year, two year deals or whatever, because he's just a, he's a good role player. He's a good teammate. They like him there. I just do think that Harrison Bryant kind of has quite a bit on the line this season for figuring out his long-term value in the NFL. I agree. I agree. I think, I think that, yeah, the upside for him is that he can get a decent contract somewhere else as a second tight end. Uh, I don't think it'll be in Cleveland, but you know, from his perspective, that doesn't matter that much. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think like his peak is a second tight end Yeah, and then, 
I think he's probably best fit to be a third tight end. But I his agree. peak, like he plays really well, has 450 yards this year yeah. somehow, right? Yeah. Or something. He could be a, a team could be drawn to him as a second tight end, right? Yeah. Or Cleveland could could try to keep him around. Who knows? You know, yeah. drafting. Yeah, no, I, I, I think. He, yeah, I agree, and I think the da- the floor for him, or you know, whatever is 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 pretty low because I I think that you know he just has never shown that next level in the NFL that you kind of always hope you know you were hoping from a Mackey Award winner with. Yeah, you know, decent athletic testing that you would, you know, you'd kind of see that next level arrive, and it really, it really hasn't. So, yeah, you can see his limitations athletically. Right? Yeah. Not a bad athlete, but just you're no, like, okay, this no. is where you can see, yeah, why teams yeah. are drawn to tight ends who are like these guys who are like deer, you know, like you said, yeah. great, yeah. great third tight end, great third tight yeah. end. I don't think there's a position battle here. I think they're very no, clearly agree. defined. Um, yeah, I, I think. They'll keep another one on the practice squad. That's probably the position battle is is whether it's Mitchell Payton or Greeny. Tune in to the Browns this preseason right. to figure yeah. out who the practice squad tight end will mm-hmm. be. Also a spot potentially for a claim. Just another thing there. Great um, point. Yep. That that they could not not a claim there. I'm saying they might not like Greeny or Mitchell Payton yeah. to stick around and just stash be somebody else on the practice st- squad. Yep. Bingo. Yep. Um who will rise, who will fall. I think David's gonna have a pretty good year. I, yeah. I do think he's gonna have a pretty good year, even top last year. So I feel pretty good about that. I don't know that Jordan Aikens will replicate his production as the primary tight end in Houston, but I think there are going to be some, like, he's going to have some moments. He's going to have mm-hmm. some plays that matter. I, I yep. really do think that they, they, and they should get him involved. I know he's yep. 31. He's not young, but he is still extremely athletic. Like he put some great athletic in space plays on tape last year. And I was excited to, to that film room. I did of him was like, Oh my goodness, man, this guy yeah. can really get going in the open field. You can see the former wide receiver in that guy. Yeah. So and I, I will be interested to see how they, how they deploy him as a weapon tight end, right? Get yeah. creative with him. And that was a really bad offense last year in Houston too. So to look good in that scheme, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit like the Elijah Moore thing from the jets of like a guy that whose skill set wasn't really being utilized by the talent in that, in that organization and, and mm-hmm. is in a position where he should be now. And so, but no, I agree. I mean, David Njoku to me is like, you know, the upside is, is, is this, if this is the year where I think it really kind of all comes together and he it really bursts onto the scene because I think, I, I just think, you know, his size and athleticism will allow him to be in, like unexpected positions when these plays break down or when Watson's on the move where he's, you know, he, like he's a big target. He's going to be down there. You're going to, you know, and, and, and he can, you know, work the middle of the field, lose his coverage and, and kind of be in a really promising spot as a play breaks down. So I, I think, I think he's going to be kind of the, the safety valve stop gap, but a lot of those are going to go for big, big plays. I don't think there's a great fall candidate just because I think, I no, mean, just, I think you just can put Bryant being the third option. Yeah. Now, you yeah. know, he, he was the second tight end last year. He's the third now. So. Yeah. I, I just don't, the, the room itself doesn't scream like no, big make or break. So I agree. you could honestly probably try to, if you're on the opposite end of the Njoku spectrum paint that he would take steps back maybe, but I mean, I, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I think that, that there's, you could make the argument just because they have added to the wide receiver room that they maybe don't need to target the tight end at all. Mm-hmm. And if he is unreliable, you know, maybe Watson starts looking away from him. That's a good point. 
it's possible. It's non-zero chance, as we like yeah, to say. But no, I, don't, I, agree. I don't think yeah. either of us see it going that way. I think that Watson's just been too good with tight ends. Agreed. For for big portions of his, and not Agreed. just one, usually usually two. So we could see yeah. some a lot, a decent amount of twelve personnel that I don't know that people are thinking that as right. much as we talk about like, hey, three wide receivers and. 11 uptick. I think they're going to uptick in 11. I think that we just see a massive reduction continuing downhill trend of 13 and they kind of supplement it with, yeah, oh, we'll, we'll give just two tight end looks more. And like last year they were leading the league in six offensive linemen looks right. Like they yes. were huge in that. Yeah. It's going to disappear. It just has to, you've got to give yeah. those to 11 and 12 personnel, especially with well, Aikens and then your third, third wide right. receiver being, whether you're taking Donovan off or you're keeping him on or Elijah, right. or however you're structuring that, like those guys right. need to be on the field. I want them on the field right. more often. Your best yeah. Players. I mean, and Najoku and, and Akins can both thrive, uh, you know, out of wide receiver alignments. So you could you could be in twelve personnel with four wide receivers. Trying to look at what Jack. So we're doing long term outlook. Yeah. So Jack thinks in twenty four, after the twenty four season, the Browns will have a decision to make on Njoku long term. He'll have yeah. one season remaining on his contract with fifteen and a quarter, no guarantees. Um, he'll be 29 at that point entering the 25 season. I see another extension. I mean, yeah. again, unless he just plays terribly the next two seasons, which I don't think either of us expect that because he's such an asset as a blocker. Like he is right. a fully rounded tight end in my opinion. So I think I see an extension that runs through 25, like, like uh, past 25, like 26, 27 is early thirties. I think that you could see it go that direction, which would be insane when we start thinking about what we've seen David and Joku for over a decade in mm-hmm. Cleveland at that point. That's, yep. that's pretty crazy. Um, so if they aren't sold on him, they have the chance to move off of the 15 and a quarter saving significant amount of money because there's no guarantees left at that point at 25. Um, in 24, I think you can expect both Akins and Njoku, obviously. Jack says in 25, he still projects Akins to be around. So he says he doesn't see a likely extension. He'd be 33 and a half entering the 25 season. So he could be around. He could not be around. Um, he essentially be on one-year deals at that point. So um, he thinks that they might draft one in 24. They could sign a veteran at that point. But he thinks Njoku is going to be around at least. I think Njoku will be around. Akins, it gets dicey over the next two years. I know he's at least going to be here through 24 i don't know about 25 uh we'll see about that depending on how impactful he is at that point but um i think you can at least start to look at mapping out those two but the the, the i don't think brian could be here but feels like they might draft a young player to try to develop at that point and let uh let brian walk it's kind of the conjecture big big time discussion here very important here happening to myself <laughs> mentally um all right what we want to do before we split those do uh, our, our roster projections and look at like hey we're doing this we might as well make our 53 projections on top of this and build as we go so we we want to hit quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end as quickly as we conceivably can yes but we've already talked about these positions so we're yeah. not doing anything in terms of analysis here we're just saying who we think is going to make the roster so quarterback it's different it's it's got a chance to be a year where we don't know what teams are going to do the third quarterback rule is obviously helpful but the third quarterback has to be on the 53 so you can't you know the 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 thing that this helps is that the third quarterback can be um you know be active a a part of the active roster on game days as you know that reduces down into the high 40s and, and and fluctuates a little bit but you can you can activate that player on game days and not have him count as a part of your active game day roster and there's stipulations by which he can come in. Like you have to lose multiple quarterbacks to injury, but you have to keep him on your 53. And I think there's a chance that we've all sort of thought that they could do this. And we, I think we mentioned like three weeks ago, Andrew, that there's a chance an outside chance that one of these teams or some of these teams are more than we think could just say, we're not doing that. We'll yeah. do it. Maybe if the playoff roster gets turned into right. or something where we really need like 
everything, but I don't know that teams are a lock to just keep these quarterbacks, these third quarterbacks on their 53. So I just, we just want to make that caveat before we started. So you give me your projected 53 man roster quarterbacks. Yeah. So I think it's Watson and uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, because I think, okay. I, I just don't, I think that they can get away with stashing. I mean, Dobbs was on the practice squad for almost all of last year before he ended up in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I think they can do the same thing this year because they, they know that, that Thompson Robinson will be an adequate in-game backup. Uh, and so they can, they can have Dobbs on the practice squad in case if Watson did miss a game, for example, they could, they could bring Dobbs in at that point. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's how I think they'll do it because I, I don't think if you're looking at the 53 man roster overall, a player like Josh Dobbs, whose future is, is pretty well known and, and it's hard to imagine him being on the Browns after this season if Dorian Thompson Robinson is anything as a quarterback. Yeah. You're you're holding on to Dobbs for one more season or you're deciding about keeping another wide receiver or another defensive lineman positions where they have questions and I think more tangible prospects. Yeah, DTR is making the roster no matter what. So you're pretty much for just sure. saying is Dobbs going to be on the roster. So yeah. um I think what you need to see is some re- like for your scenario there which is very very possible he needs to be really good in the preseason. They need to have Agreed. clear faith that this kid can come in and play right away. Yep. Um, and it's very, very possible uh, because he's so experienced. He's played in a ton of games. That's a huge part of quarterback drafting that you like is guys who have played in a lot of games, seen a lot of scenarios. I'm going to project that Dobbs makes it, but I do think there's a point in the season mm-hmm. where they might go that route. Right. If things get crunched into the season yeah, with roster injuries, structure. So, things like that, yeah. Something what I'm sure the Browns are going to be doing is this is they've had this internal discussion that you just mentioned is they're going to be looking around the NFL, looking at backup spots and seeing if there's teams that are uncertain about their backup quarterback. Yep. And they go, okay, well, did this guy, did this team have any interest in him when we were trying to sign him? And would they be interested in claiming him? So that's something to monitor if you want to get real deep into the weeds of Dig in. Browns roster. Uh, running back, um, not a ton of way they can go here. We, we both believe, obviously, that, that, that Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford are one and two. The thing you want to question here is whether you believe Felton is going to be the third guy or they're either going to sign a free agent that's out there or they're going to claim somebody on the waiver wire that's out there. I think that is the debate. I think they're going to keep Felton. Do you think they're also going to keep Felton as the third guy? I think it's – I mean, I think that there's somebody on the waiver wire that they'll like. Huh. Uh, I know it is it is a little bit of a cop-out to sit here when that player's not – you know, is in camp with somebody else. But I think they like their – you know, I think they like their first two enough that they feel like they can bring somebody else in and get them up to speed. And I, I personally think it's more likely to be a waiver claim from another team than it is to be uh, like a free agent, you know, one of these veteran free agents that are out there. So I would tend to lean towards, you know, bringing somebody in after cuts uh, and that person making the team. So maybe Felton technically makes it mm-hmm. right. And then, and then gets waived when they bring somebody else in, or maybe they carry four and wave somebody else for a little bit and then, yeah, try and sneak Felton onto the practice squad, but, but but my point is, is I, I I think that a more well-rounded back as the third back makes more sense than a pure third down pass catching option like Felton. I will say I wish that when if you wanted to be like like positive stock up on Felton when they talked about wide receiver shortages in Greenbrier and Stefanski noted we could move him to wide receiver if we're yeah. short and we needed to. Uh, if you wanted to buy in on that running back stock, it would have been Kevin saying, no, we're not doing that. He's a right. full on running back for us. Exactly. And we need him there. We think right. he's going to be available, but like that didn't happen. So, yep. you know, could be, could be doing some, some serious tinfoil hatting there, but I would just like to have heard yeah, a little I think bit more just, confidence. In a, that. You know, one plus 
two equals three or whatever. Yeah, right. This usually does. All right, so uh, wide receiver, the first five are locked for us. So we're yeah. on the presumption that Marquise Goodwin, we don't know enough yet, but yeah. it feels like it's at least going to linger into like minimum half the year before they sort it all out, potentially yeah. the whole thing. So we're going to move on from like he's going to be put on you know, I don't know what they're going to do. Is he going to have to make the initial fifty-three, and then they and then they put him on the IR? Don't they have to do that? Well, I, I don't they know do, if they count, had to do that this, with Jacob Phillips, right? Is maybe a non-football injury though? I, I'm not. That's part of what's I unclear. I don't know. I just know that they've done. They've had to put some guys on the fifty-three to IR them. Yes, you know, injury reserve yeah. them, and then and then yeah. the chance to bring them back. I think that if you. Let me put it this way. And again, I, some people might already know this. And I'm sorry we don't have this nailed down. But I think if you know a guy's going to be out all year, there's something you can do. But if you think there's a chance, like they did this with Jacob Phillips when he hurt that elbow injury That's last right. year. Yeah. They were like, well, we think he's got a chance to come back. So we're going to put him on the 53 and then put him on you know, IR so that they can do the, right. I think, what is it? Two guys you can take off of IR at some point. Something like that. Yeah, they maybe even have expanded it, but yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I think that the, if they have intentions of that, I guess we'll get to know through that. That's yeah, the way we'll have an right. idea of whether they think he's got a chance to come back this year. So um, the top five are Cooper, DPJ, Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman, David Bell. I don't think that's really even arguable right now. It's just a matter of if you want to keep six or seven and who those guys are. I'm going to say that they keep six and that they end up keeping Jakeem Grant is where I will go. Who will you go with? You can do six or seven. I think eight is just unheard of. So yeah, eight would be now. bananas. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that you can definitely make an argument that they keep six just because of the versatility of the six that they would keep. But for the purposes of this exercise, I think they keep seven. Okay. Uh, I think Jalen Darden has done quite a bit. I know that he just showed up uh, on the sidelines today, I think was his first day out, but um, you know, his, his injury status, uh, aside, I think he's, I think he's got a shot at making this team because I think he's got a skill set that doesn't really exist elsewhere. Plus a little bit of punt return versatility. Um, and then I think, uh, the, the seventh, you know, it really would have been Darden as the seventh and you keeping Goodwin. I, I, I don't think they keep Darden and Grant. I see those kind of, those players as sort of two two guys for one spot. So I'll say that they want like another big body guy. And I think Dalen Baldwin has gotten a, a fair amount of run with like the, the second and even at, at times the first team. And it's definitely going to be a guy that I think is going to show out in the preseason. And so um, I think they keep him around because I think, you know, if you're running a lot of three wide receiver sets, you probably need six active wide receivers. And, and so then your seventh can be a guy like Baldwin who's inactive and, you know, they're still bringing him along. Okay, I got it. Seven. So the difference for us so far has been I'm keeping three quarterbacks, six wide receivers. You're keeping two quarterbacks, seven wide receivers. That's it. Just for those of you keeping score out there. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's some people with a pen and legal pad writing down what we <laughs> say every time. Um, as long as it last, adds up to 53, that's our main yeah, goal here. That's the biggest challenge, to be honest. Um, <laughs> tight end, there's no question. Yeah. Keeping the three. Yeah. No, no way to no way to argue about this one. All right. So that's our group so far. We'll do offensive line next time we get together. And before you know it, we'll be done with this, and it'll be some some real games, and maybe this will even linger into the games. But I promise, in the preseason, we'll get done with this exercise for those of you in demand. Guaranteed. So uh, that's a wrap, dude. Good show, man. I appreciate your uh, time, obviously, as we record late into the wee hours of this one. But I, I think there's a lot of good stuff to cover from missing a couple days there from, yeah. from the show on my end. But uh, we covered pretty much everything that's gone on in Greenbrier, really. I don't think we've left any meat on the bone there. And now we'll get excited to see them back in Berea. 
Yes, I agree. I think it'll be to the thing we started the show talking about. I think it'll be so interesting to see how it feels Tuesday when they're practicing versus how it felt uh, when they were practicing down in West Virginia. So excited to have them back. And, you know, I, we kind of said this a little bit, very excited about the hall of fame game as crazy as that is. It is. It, it's going to be cool. Just cool yeah. for Joe. And yeah, cool to see too. like, yep. They haven't seen the Browns in the hall of fame game since they came back in 99. So Great it's kind of crazy yep. how long that's been. It's always cool to see them playing at Canton too, in that field and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. I, the, welcome back to Berea. Your, your, Scenery around the practice field will be slightly worse than, than the Greenbrier. <laughs> Just prepare for that, guys. I don't know if they've talked about it, but um, hopefully the Greenbrier treated them well. I'm sure we'll hear more about it. And we'll get some some episodes, like we said, of the Unleashed stuff. They'll show a little bit more of what they did behind closed doors there and how they worked that whole thing to their benefit. So check out the OBR. It'll be off day tomorrow, but we'll have a lot of content up for you to check out, read, and uh, digest. We'll see uh, around the NFL and see what's going on in other camps as things are moving quickly in other places as teams are pretty much all now ramping up to try to catch up to where the Browns and Jets have been. Most teams are getting their, their sort of situations ramped up now and it gets into really fun. Um, watch out for this guy season, right? Yeah. You know, we're going to get right into a lot of that, that uh, highlights of one-on-ones and we're getting them. We're, we're, you know, these are these UDFAs, they got something here. It's big mm-hmm. time stuff. I see Kansas city is a big spot that oh, they love it. They, you know, all about some of these guys just making, you know, Matt Patrick Holmes can make anybody look good. It doesn't mean they're going to keep that guy. So anyway, love Patrick Mahomes, but the the Chiefs, Chiefs and Steelers tweets crack me up sometimes. The optimism around, and I would listen. The optimism should be high for places that don't see losing records and win a lot of football games. So, yep. uh, you, you know, preseason training camp football coverage of it, one of a kind. Thanks, to Andrew, for being here. Thanks you guys for stopping by on this Monday. We will have something for you Tuesday. I'm thinking I'm going to get with Brad Ward, who's back from vacation for your Tuesday episode. Then we'll uh, link back up with Andrew for for Wednesday's show, and then. It's pretty much going to be a game day preview. We'll maybe talk through some of the rosters and who to expect to play both from the Jets side and from the Brown side. So you feel fully prepared. Maybe even talk about some gambling lines, Andrew. How do you be a real degenerate in Ohio here and uh, put some money on the Hall of Fame game? So we'll check back in with Andrew Wednesday. Should be fun. Until then, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for stopping by from Andrew and myself. We appreciate you rating and review the pod. Always appreciated. And check out the OBR website in the live wire with the daily updates for all things Cleveland Browns. Thanks again. Have a good day. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.